It's the end of the year. A lot of companies shut down between Christmas and New Year's. This is an HR person talking, I know. But for those who don't shut down, employees take vacation or personal time off because they need a chance to catch their breath before the New Year starts. Some of you can identify with that, I'm sure. I found uh, in addition to catching their breath, it's a time for them to reflect. And then this week, as I was preparing my message, I was reading a number of quotes on reflection. And one that stuck closest to my mind was by a Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, theologian, and author, which really caught my eye. He said this about reflection. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. What a true statement. As I look backwards, what I see and understand from my life is at every turn, Jesus Christ was there walking with me step by step, even in times when I didn't even know him. I look back now and see how God brought Ellen and I in our struggling marriage from Virginia to Colorado, how he led us home to Evergreen, to a home in Evergreen, and a small group of six couples who were going to study a book called The Edge of Adventure by Keith Larson and Bruce Miller. We met with the leaders of the group, and they, they invited us to come. And I told the leader of the group that Ellen and I were not Christians. And I didn't want the rest of the group, who were, to constantly be trying to convert us. So I asked him if, we could be in the, if he could keep our non-Christian status a secret. He and his wife agreed. And for the next year, we got a chance not only to enjoy their company, but we also watched how Christians live their faith, celebrate joys, and work through struggles. Looking back, as you can imagine, it was, this small group was a blessing beyond words. I gave my life to Christ at one of those meetings. In fact, we were all sitting in the living room. We were going to have dinner that night. They all went to the dining room to have, to have dinner. And I pulled one of the leaders back and said, Can I, I want to offer my life to Christ without telling the rest of the group yet. <laughs> so I did, and we prayed together, and I accepted Christ. It was interesting because a year later, when we were together as a group, they said, let's let everybody tell their testimony. <laughs> and when Ellen and I began telling our testimony of what happened and why all this had been said, they were shocked. Because we used to pray at the end of the meal, or pray at the end of the meeting, and the leader said, if you don't want to pray, all you have to do is say pass. Well, Ellen and I did a lot of passing in that first year. Probably more than Peyton Manning will do this afternoon. <laughs> okay. Eventually, the Lord led us to a Christian church in Evergreen where we came to know him more and more and enjoyed the fellowship of a church family for the first time. Our marriage began to heal. The love we had for each other began to grow. After 26 years in Evergreen, the Lord led us down the hill to Arvada. We tried a number of churches, but we struggled to find the right one for us. One Sunday morning, we were driving to Cornerstone Church, this building, where it was, and we saw a sign on the road on the way in front of Manning School that said Applewood Community Church. We looked at each other and said, let's give it a try. And as they say in history, this is history. <laughs> what I also say looking backwards is that we just didn't drive down the hill and pull up in front of Applewood Community Church. Just like we didn't come from Virginia and pull up in front of Evergreen Fellowship. There were bumps in the road, struggles, and experiences that were definitely challenging along the way. Looking back, however, we can see that each one had its purpose. Each one played a role in getting us to where we are today. God says in Isaiah 55, 8, 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. Hallelujah. It's true. Left to our own thoughts, we were heading for a disaster. Yet God's thoughts and ways led us off that road. His ways are perfect. Looking back, Ellen and I praise God for the way he brought us first closer to him and then to each other. It was a blessing we'll never forget. God's ways are so amazing and so good. When I think of how amazing God's ways are, my mind jumps to the story of Joseph in Genesis. You probably know the story, but indulge me a bit because I want to tell it to you in a quick form. Joseph was a young man of 17. I have read the story of Joseph many times. I didn't realize he was 17 years old in the story, beginning of the story. His father was Jacob. Joseph was one of 12 brothers. His father loved him more than any of, the other, of his other sons. His father gave him a richly ornamented robe. His brothers began to hate him. He was a dreamer. His first dream was shared with his brothers. The first dream he shared with his brothers was that his sheaf of wheat stood upright while his brothers bowed down to his. His second dream, again, which he shared with his brothers, Joseph said, the sun and the moon bowed down to me. It was a sign to show how powerful he would become. His brothers' hate for him grew. They grabbed him and threw him and Joseph into a cistern. Now they said, let's see what comes of his dreams. Words I'm sure they would remember later on. Instead of killing him, his brothers decided to sell him to, the, to an Ishmaelite merchant passing by for 20 shekels of silver. They dipped Joseph's coat in, the, in goat's blood, showed it to their father, saying he was killed by a ferocious animal. Jacob mourned for his son. Joseph was taken to Egypt, sold to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials and the captain of the guard. The Lord gave Joseph success, as scripture says, in everything he did. So Potiphar put Joseph in charge of all of Potiphar's household and entrusted him to everything in his, that he owned. Now the, the, the trouble part. Potiphar's wife made a pass at him. Joseph rejects her advances. Potiphar's wife lies to Potiphar about Joseph's intentions. Potiphar has Joseph thrown into prison. The Lord grants him favor with the warden. The, ward, the warden puts Joseph in charge of all of his prisoners. The cupbearer and the, and the baker of Pharaoh offend Pharaoh, and he has him thrown into prison. Joseph interprets the dream of the cupbearer and the baker. For the cupbearer, all would be well in three days. As for the baker, he would be killed. When all is well with you, Jacob, I mean, Joseph said to the cupbearer, when all is well with you and Pharaoh, remember me and show me your kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of prison. The cupbearer, however, did not remember, and he forgot. Two years passed by. Pharaoh had a dream. No one in the Pharaoh's court could interpret that dream. The cupbearer remembers Joseph's dream, interpreting skills. Joseph inter- interprets Pharaoh's dream. Joseph puts, Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge, second in command over all the land. Pretty great story so far, isn't it? There were seven years of abundance coming and seven years of famine. The famine was in the other lands as well. Jacob learned there was grain in Egypt, so he sent ten of his sons to buy grain. They, not recognizing Joseph, bowed down to him. They could see the power this person had over over all of Pharaoh's land. He accused them of being spies. He tested them, and then he revealed it to them that he was Joseph. Jacob traveled to Egypt. Joseph says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And then we come to the famous word of the story of Joseph. 
chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. So do you hear what Joseph is saying? He's looking backwards. He's looking backward and seeing God's grand scheme of things that prompts him to say, you intended it for harm to harm me, but God intended it for good. I can't read that story, this story, without reeling in the way that God brought Joseph to Egypt. God was not just concerned with getting Joseph to Egypt. His plan also included impacting his brothers, his father, the merchant traders, Potiphar and his wife, the warden in the prison, the workers in the prison, the prisoners, the cupbearer and the baker, Pharaoh, his court, the people in Egypt who needed grain, and Jacob and his family who needed grain, and finally, saving a remnant of the people. That's a pretty big story and a pretty big impact. Who could have scripted a story like that like Joseph's? Only God. Who can fathom the depths of his plans? God's ways are more amazing than we can begin to imagine. If Joseph were asked, I was going to have this be a neighbor question, but I thought I would just answer the question myself. (laughs) If Joseph were asked, would you change anything in all that happened to you, what do you think or how do you think he'd respond? I don't think he would change anything. I was working out at the club this week, and I was talking to the lady at the front desk, and she's a Christian, and I said, what do you think about that? I asked her, she said, he definitely would not change anything. He, was, he would have said, he would look back and respond that every step along the way was intricate to the whole journey and praise God. I think seeing the power of God's plan, his ways would be overwhelming and he would be filled with awe. And speaking of awe and the power of God, I have another story for you. I can't help but share from my favorite book in the Old Testament, Ruth. It's a fabulous story of God's plan and his ways. If you'll indulge me, I want to tell you the story again in the abbreviated form. I'm going to make a point at the end, I promise. Naomi, her husband, and two sons moved from Bethlehem to Moab. Naomi's sons married Moabite women. Naomi's husband and two sons die. Naomi decides to move back to Bethlehem with her two daughters-in-law. En route, she convinces one of them to return home, but the other, Ruth, clings to her and says the famous quote, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, there too will I be buried. May God deal with me ever so severely if anything but death separates the two of us. I love that memory verse because it's so true. And it's so heartfelt from Ruth. On arrival from Bethlehem, Naomi tells the women of the town to call her Mara because because she was no longer, Naomi means sweetness, she wanted him to call her Mara, which means bitterness. She was completely dejected with the circumstances. However, they needed food. So Ruth says, can I go out in the field and glean some food? She says, yes. And while Ruth is out in the field working hard, she's noticed by the workers and the owner, Boaz, for her hard work. When she comes home with food in abundance, Naomi recognizes the, the owner's name. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Boaz as the kins- a possible kinsman redeemer. This might provide the opportunity for, for their restoration. Naomi sends the ever-obedient Ruth to the threshing floor to ask him to be her, their kinsman redeemer. Boaz agrees, but first he has to clear up some complications. He does. They get married. The town people rejoice with a wonderful blessing for them. Ruth gets pregnant, has a baby, a son. They name him Obed, and he would be the grandfather of David. Wow. There is no God like our God. How do you think Naomi felt when she held her newborn grandson in her lap and the women of the town said to her, 
Your daughter-in-law has been better to you than seven sons. I am sure that she was overwhelmed. But looking back, I'm sure that she also could see the power of God's ways, his love, his generosity, his mercy, his presence, and his ability to restore. And how he had done all of this through the obedience and loyalty of a poor, widowed, Moabite daughter-in-law who would not leave her side. Our God is an amazing God. He takes the lowest in the society of the love and makes her the hero of the story. I read, I, I, I know you'll laugh, but I see a John Bronco touching and I go, Yoo-hoo! I'm screaming and yelling. But when I read this part, how, the, how Naomi reacted, I go much louder. I go, go God. I, I, just, I just get excited about how great our God is. How can you read Ruth and not say, God, your ways are truly amazing. There is no God like you. you your ways leave a spellbound. How can you? You can't. Gather myself for just a second. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. We've talked about looking backwards. What does it look like looking forward? First of all, we need to believe that God is Almighty God and that His way is better for us than any other way. We can trust Him because He has proven Himself worthy. Romans 5.8 says, While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and he rose again that we might have eternal life. That's trustworthy. We're called to step forward in faith. We must be willing to do the unexpected or illogical, like when God asked Ananias to lay his hands on Paul's eyes to heal him in Acts chapter 9. Ananias thought, why would God want to heal such an ardent persecutor of the church? God responds, and I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing, I'm God and you're not, go do it. Okay. We need to fill our hearts with hope. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. John chapter 14 In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me. Can you imagine the King of kings and the King of glory preparing a place for us in heaven? That's a hope to cling to. You know, I'll leave that be. I, I, I cling to that hope more than I can tell you. I, I love the story of when we think about in the house, Father's house are many rooms. I, I, there's a great uh, Christian guy's name is Ray Vandalin, and he was describing how that happens. When a son is about, wants to get married to a woman, what he does is they, they sign a contract with the father of the bride. And what happens is then the son goes back and prepares the house, fixes the house up, but then he goes and finds the wife-to-be and brings her back to the house. And I, and I think that it's just so neat to think that right now God is preparing a place for us. And he's going to come back and get us just like the husband does to the wife. I think it's, we just serve an amazing God. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Remember God's purpose is not remember God's purpose and plan is not ours. As we live forward, we follow God seeking his moral compass and act according to his leading. I sent my message to England before I was giving it this morning, I asked my good friend Edwin Pugh, What do you think? He wrote me back and said, 
He said, this is his quote, he said, when we follow God seeking his moral compass and act according to his leading, even if it results in ridicule. What he was trying to say was, his, for Joseph, his way of behaving, his way of responding to God's leading resulted in him holding very senior leadership positions, whether in prison or in court. He was recognized for his integrity, his truthfulness, faithfulness, commitment, and judgments as God worked through him. And I thought, that's an interesting perspective to, to look at. Edwin sees a lot of people, and, and uh, he said, you know, when we're with a crowd of people, they look at us in a, in a, to see how we behave, how God is leading us through our lives, and are we responding to it. I have great news for you this morning. God is working out his purpose in each one of us through the Holy Spirit. This purpose was for the beginning of time and will go forward to our Savior's return. Hallelujah. Bill, you guys can come up. I have to, I'm going to close with a couple things here on a 15-minute message. But you, hallelujah, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like the minister got up and said, I know I'm, I was, I'm supposed to give my hour of message this morning. And I know you know that. And he said, he said, but I prayed this morning and Jesus told me to give a five-minute message. He said, I worked hard on this one-hour message and I begged God for him to give. He says, no, I want you to give a five-minute message. And he said, so he got and told the congregation that. And the congregation rose and sang in unison, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> All week long, a, a song has been ringing in my mind, a song for praising God's ways. And here it is, and I know you know it. I'm not going to sing it, I'm going to recite it. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you, holy God, to whom all praise is due. I stand in awe of you. My brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no God like Jehovah. Let us continuously thank him for his thoughts and his ways and his purpose for our lives. And people said, Amen.